Hey, Teresa. Hi, Desmond. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. I'm so excited to see that the all of my recording equipment is working. Yes. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Absolutely. It's nothing like when a plan comes together. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your day. How's everything? It's going well. It's actually, it was a pretty good day. You know, we're entering summer, so things start to do that speed up, slow down business. People are taking vacation, much needed vacation, well-deserved vacations. I'm looking forward to some vacation myself, um, but all together, a really good day. How about you? Good, good. Um, worked earlier, went to the gym during my lunch break, ate nice. dinner, and now we're here. Fantastic. Well, it's great to be here. I'm excited. Well, I just want to say thank you for accepting my invitation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was excited when you reached out. Of course, of course. I read your background and everything. I'm like, I got to have her on my show. Yay. Love it. <laughs> so let's get started. So cool. your first topic is talk about um, your life story from the beginning and how did you end up where you are now as an adult? All the way back. Sure. So uh, I'm originally from a little town in Texas called Victoria, Texas. I think most people might know Houston, Texas. That's about the closest place uh, that might be recognizable to people. But small town um, in, in the south. And I moved around the hill country of Texas for a beat in my uh, in my kid years. And I was homeschooled. So I spent a lot of time at home, a lot of time uh, entertaining myself, playing a lot of video games and watching TV and watching movies, uh, as well as, of course, doing doing homework. But my peer group was kind of television and film and games. And then eventually when the Internet came along, I had a really cool group of Internet friends. And then uh, I went to high school in my junior year to public school. So I was 14 and I was a junior in public school and I had never gone to school really before. Um, and that was crazy, Desmond. That was crazy. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with myself because I felt so sort of, you know, out of place. And, you know, that's like a lot of those, I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird age to be kind of thrown into like a new social situation when you're not used to it. So I, of course, was attracted to the theater crowd. And I fell in love with it. And I um, I auditioned for a musical my junior year, Susical the Musical. And I got cast as sort of the background. I think I was dressed up like a cat or something. It was really fun. Um, and I just fell in love with, with theater and with acting. And so that sort of became my entry point into the TV film world. And then I took that experience on into college. I majored in acting and I majored in journalism because I figured journalism was a great way to um, learn how to dive into stories and tell other people's stories from a non-biased and unbiased point of view um, in a perfect world, at least. And then on the acting side, it was, you know, my love of acting, but also taking sort of that unbiasedness into characters is really important because if you're playing, you know, Cruella DeVille, you can't hate Cruella DeVille, right? So, right. Um, so I kind of had those two philosophies in my head going through school. Um, and I, I wasn't doing a lot of stage work at my university. I wasn't getting cast, which was, you know, a bummer, but it sort of made me say to myself, okay, let me go to the next biggest town, which was Austin, Texas. And let me see what kind of opportunities I can land for myself. And so that's what really kicked off me getting into film. And I was able to get a couple of, you know, extra roles and in some independent films um, had a great relationship with an independent film company. I kind of just kept coming back to their sets. Even when I wasn't acting, I, I was like, listen, I will, 
I will hold the boom mic. I will, you know, carry stuff like whatever you need. I'll be a PA on days that I'm not that I'm not acting. And so eventually I think they got used to me being there and they finally invited me to be a part of more of the development and um, more of the pre-production part. And then I also was still acting, but then I was also producing. And so while I was in Austin, um, I, I was there for five years and I did about 10 feature films and I produced most of those and acted in most of those. And then I also directed a couple of short films along the way, which was really exciting. And um, I had a lot of fun doing that. I was a director of photography for one short film, found out I don't like that. Um, and sometimes that's the best way to find out what you, what you love and what you don't love is just to do it. And then, you know, right. Um, trial and error. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, mad respect for director, directors of photography and cinematographers though. Um, just wasn't, wasn't my jam. So, uh, I had that experience. One of my films, uh, called three references got into the Austin film festival and it was one of the biggest film festivals that, a movie of mine had gotten into and I thought this this is the momentum that I need to kind of move into the next step of my career and I was 25 about to be 26 so I felt ancient and I was like okay but I'm gonna go to Los Angeles and I'm just gonna try it you know there was it was a um, this was about seven years ago and so a lot of things were changing in the industry a lot of the streaming was coming up which is kind of funny now because it's sort of that bubble is kind of bursting but anyway um so it was a really good time to go. And I went to Los Angeles. I, um, uh, I, I got there in January of 2015. And I had a couple of people that I knew. One person was a literally a great uncle of mine who I hadn't seen in probably 15 years. Right. And he said, you know, I'm a construction supervisor. And... I have to do some pickup shots for a movie called Scouts vs. Zombies, and I need a construction coordinator assistant. Um, you know, it was like, I think, an hour drive from where I was staying to where they needed me. But I said yes. I had no idea what that was, really. Um, but I said yes, and I said, let's do it. And uh, so I was, yeah, I was a construction coordinator's uh, assistant on Scouts vs. Zombies for the pickup shots. And I basically just helped, like, check the IATSE guys in and I got to watch them rebuild sets and I was kind of like this kid in a candy shop and they thought I I was they probably thought I was this like naive young kid because I would just go in there and be like guys this is amazing like I can't believe you're doing this like this is so wild and they would be like yeah it's our job you know <laughs> <laughs> but I was like guys it's so cool they were like all right um, just tell me, you know, where my paperwork is. So, um, it was a really cool experience. I was very grateful for that experience. Um, I did that for about four or five weeks. Uh, and then I was, I was out of a job. I, I actually signed with a, an agency for acting and, um, had kind of a, a bad experience. It just, it was different out here. You know, it was, I had spent so much time in Austin with a film company with a specific group of people and I was so comfortable in it and it was honestly really frightening to be out here and to be trying to do the acting thing as well as the producing thing and I think I was just really overwhelmed and so I kind of put the acting bit on a shelf and um, a few months went by and I had a friend who was an assistant at a company called Rehab Entertainment and she said, I'm leaving. And if you want the job, I can introduce you to the principals over there and, you know, see if it's a good fit. And, you know, you'll you'll be employed, maybe. And I said, great, I need a job. So <laughs> I um, so I took that opportunity, got along really well with the principal there, John W. Hyde, who is now my producing partner. Um, again, I got very lucky in that he was really looking for someone to he was looking for an assistant at the time. But after about six months, you know, we after we discovered that we worked really well together, he said, you know, I, I want to do this. I still want to produce, but I need someone to run it day to day. And if that's the journey that you want to go on, let's put a slate of things together. Let's really do this. So um, that 
kind of brings you up to where I am today. Uh, I, over the past seven years, have worked at Rehab Entertainment. I am now a co-owner. At the top of 2020, I actually became a co-owner of the company, which was very exciting in January and very frightening in March. <laughs> As you can imagine, <laughs> like owning an entertainment company in March of 2020 was uh, an interesting feeling. So, um, but through through that time, we have done, we have a lot of things in development, uh, which is a big part of my job. And then we have an animated series that we've produced called Harriet the Spy, which is on Apple TV Plus. Um, and that's was very exciting for me because my main goal and in when I left Texas uh, was finding finding opportunities to produce content that got to be on a platform that had, you know, uh, really good marketing behind it and actually got to viewers and to an audience. And that was very hard in the independent film world. Um, and I did a lot of work on films that I'm really proud of and that I love, but that I don't think, you know, more than a hundred people saw. And um, so it was a big, it was a big deal when Harriet came out last year and the next there's, 20 episodes total, five have dropped, um, uh, 10 have dropped uh, as of now, and the next 10 will drop in the next six months or so. So um, that's a little bit about what I'm doing now. We also have a couple of other projects in development. We have Flight of the Navigator, which John Hyde produced back in the mid 80s. I don't know. Desmond, are you familiar with that movie? Sounds familiar. Okay, cool. I'm, a, I'm an 80s baby, so yes. <laughs> okay, cool, 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 yeah. It's a it's a sci-fi time travel very fun movie and um, it it's um, being reimagined. Bryce Dallas Howard is attached to direct it, which is extremely exciting. She's um, doing a lot of cool stuff right now. Um, and then we have a couple of of other kids projects in the works. There's a a really great book called The Kissing Hand. It's actually a series of books by Audrey Penn. Uh, that's about an adorable little raccoon baby who has to go to school night school for the first time and he's scared of leaving his mom and so they have a little um they have a little ritual that they do called the kissing hand which actually uh, real raccoons do where the mama raccoon kind of like kisses a, the baby's hand rubs her scent on him and then he's he uses that throughout the day to sort of get get through you know the anxiety of of not being with a parent and then we have another property based on a series of books by Karen Katz who's a very um a well-known kids illustrator and author um and that that's set to be animated as well john also produced short circuit uh back in the 80s another 80s movie and that's in the in the reimaginings as well um and hopefully there will be more more soon to tell on that it's it's uh it's in a, in a phase of development right now and um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different, we have a lot of different things going on. It's different day to day projects come in, you know, regularly. Um, and it's always a process of going through them and, uh, seeing if they're a good fit for us. And if we think we can, you know, get it out into the marketplace and it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting job that I never thought that I would have or do. Um, especially coming, going back, going all the way back, especially coming from, you know, small town, Texas. Right. I'm glad you were able, despite your obstacles that you had to go through and everything, you got to a point now where you're in a career where you're happy, you're comfortable, and you still got more things coming in the works, which is awesome. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's a big it's crazy to kind of look back now because I, I, you know, I definitely walk in the world a little more confidently and um, I have less, much less anxiety than I used to. And I don't think, I think a lot of people walk around with a lot of anxiety. They don't even know they're holding on to until they one hope, you know, hopefully one day they don't have it. And then they look back and go, wow, I was an extremely anxious person who was always self, uh, self-doubting themselves. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about having imposter syndrome, um, which has been and continues to be something that I work through on a day to day basis. And it's just a very weird, you know, it's that voice inside of your head that says, you know, you're not supposed to be here, you're not good enough to be here, you don't know 
what you're doing, your years and years of experience don't mean anything and, you know, just crazy things that run run through your head that aren't true that you have to sort of learn over time to ignore and navigate through. And that can be really tough, you know. Exactly. It's like you're fighting against like your your own inner demons when in reality you do deserve to be here because you worked very hard to get to this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, you know, and it's a it's a very and I think too, like coming from when I was when I when I homeschooled and I of course I didn't have like a, a peer group and then I was sort of thrust into the scenario and in, in high school and in, in college. And I was always a couple years younger than my peer group during that time, um, that was always, a, you know, a strange situation where I felt like I was a little off. I was always a little off compared to everyone else because I had much less life experience, much less experience in social situations. And I really didn't understand social dynamics in the same way that other kids did. And I was always, you know, sort of navigating that live while trying to navigate the actual situation that was was happening in front of me with, you know, potential friends or classmates. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot, you know, I've, I've now been, you know, I don't want to age myself too much, but it's been, a, <laughs> you know, it's been about 15 years, I think I'm good now. You know, I feel I feel confident now. I feel like I'm not always thinking about what I'm doing and how that's going to affect someone and how to deal with that. I can kind of, I can kind of now just let go and be kind of a normal, a normal human, whatever that is. Right. Especially during these time period. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It's like during this time period, it's, it's, there's an even, there's a weirder anxiety going around that everyone's feeling. So I'm glad I don't have that extra layer of crazy anxiety happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's another crazy thing, Desmond, that I, that, you know, in, in talking about sort of coming from a small town in Texas, coming from, you know, not really being in a peer group or, or in a, a situation where I felt like I could ever navigate, uh, you know, I, I never thought I could lead a company or, you know, what I do now, I lead pitches and I, you know, I'm very out outgoing in a lot of ways that that I wasn't before because I was sort of sheltered and only around a few adults um, in homeschool. But um, the, you know, the last couple of years have been pretty crazy for everyone. Um, and, you know, at the top of 2020, I was actually, we were just about to start Harriet the Spy. We had just gotten the green light and it was super exciting. And then March came around and all of that, you know, that there was huge doubt going on in the industry about if this was going to, how are we going to go back to work? We had to be remote. And where I was fortunate was that because it was animation, we did not have to stop all of our amazing artists and creators on the show, you know, unplugged from their office on a Friday and plugged into their houses on Monday. And we actually were able to, um, we were able to, you know, keep on budget and on time the entire way through the pandemic. But in the middle of 2020, I had a really terrible experience. Uh, I had a family member who, um, not COVID related, had a medical emergency that left her paralyzed from the waist down. And I don't know, Desmond, if you've ever experienced anything kind of like that or know anyone like that, but it's a huge, um, it's, it's sort of a huge life it's obviously a huge life change for that person but all the people around them it becomes a huge life change and it was my grandmother so I was very like close to her and um I had to spend the better part of six months in Texas helping my family sort of figure out what that oop I think I just something fell and made a loud noise I'm sorry um no it's okay um had had to stay there and had to uh, had to work, had to produce this animated show for the first time. By the way, I'm not from animation either. So that was like a crazy, that was a crazy thing. But I had to do that while, um, while sort of helping my family through this really crazy time. And uh, it, it, you know, it's one of those experiences where 
I, I there have been obvious moments where you spend time and you think like why did that happen to us like why did that happen to her like why did that happen to me but what I really pulled from it was you know I was able to I was able to do that I was able to keep working I was able to make it through um it was crazy it was hard it was probably the hardest thing in my life but those types of situations happen in life um some are worse you know than that and some maybe aren't as bad but it's it's you know one of those things where when you go through something that's really traumatic or really terrible really trying to take that mindset and turn it into a positive and turn it into almost like a skill stack for yourself like if i can do that if i can get through that situation i can get through like two weeks of crazy work life you know right um, it's you know it's one of those things that sort of alters your perspective on what you can do and so but it was a big lesson because it, it is easy in the middle of a pandemic going through something like that and a lot of people went through similar things um to not just get beat down and to not just like get in bed and not want to get out of bed, you know, and just stay there until it's all done. And, um, you know, I think, I hope that what people are doing, and I think, you know, it's a little better now because we're two years and we're kind of out of it. But I hope people are, are taking that time to like give that to themselves. Like we just went through a really freaking hard thing, you know, right? Um, as a whole globe, like, as a world together, this horrible thing happened. And then all individually, we were going through our own crazy stuff. We still had to move on. We still had to move through. Um, and so I just hope people are taking advantage of, you know, that mindset of like, wow, I did that. And I can use that now as, as fuel going forward. Exactly. It's like the things that you wanted to do before now getting over this is like, okay, I better get to this now because I don't know what's going to happen next. Desmond, it's so funny that you say that because, yes, absolutely. So remember I said that I had, you know, acting was sort of my entry point into this industry. And then I kind of shelved it when I came to Los Angeles because it was really overwhelming. And I sort of had like a bad experience with the agency that I was working with. And I let that really affect me. Um, and no regrets because I was then able to focus on my producing career. And that has been uh, so extremely fulfilling and amazing, but I definitely kind of dusted off my acting. Uh, I took my acting off the shelf recently and I started getting into voiceover work and, um, I'm super excited about it and I'm just sort of finding the joy in it again. And it was, it was partially because of what you just said, you know, I came out of this not only, because there had been two years of a pandemic and, you know, that feeling of what does the future hold? But, you know, I watched my grandmother who, you know, was working up to the day before she had this accident and then is paralyzed and could no longer do the work. She was an RN. She was a, she was a nurse and she could no longer do that anymore. Um, she could no longer do lots and lots of things. And I just thought if tomorrow something happens, like if tomorrow something happens, and I can't do these things. I'm going to regret that I didn't get in there and do it. You know, I'm going to regret right. that I didn't try. And so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey of jumping back in it, finding the joy of it again, finding if, you know, like, and I had the thought, if it doesn't make me happy, I won't do it. It's also okay. You know, it's not like you have to, you have to do things that you don't want to do. But if you have an, even an inkling of something that you feel like might bring you joy that you might want to do, you should try, you know, and just see if you like it. If you, if you do keep, keep moving it, keep chasing the, keep chasing the curiosity, keep chasing the happiness that it brings you. And if it stops bringing you happiness, you know, let it go. Don't worry about it. But definitely coming out of the pandemic and coming out of that experience with my grandmother, um, there's a lot of things like that, you know, like going and like getting like you were just saying you went and worked out on your lunch break. Like, congratulations. That takes a lot of like willpower to do that. And right. I re recently just made that choice um, to kind of like 
get some things back together, Desmond, you know, just <laughs> get, get this, get this body right, you know, feel better, be healthier. And, um, I've lost almost 10 pounds and it's working, you know, and I feel nice. great and I'm excited. And, uh, it just took a little bit of, of adjusting my mindset to be, what do I want? And what excuses am I making for myself? Uh, stop doing that. Stop making those excuses. And if this is what you want, this is what you want. And it's going to be hard. And, you know, nothing worth having um, comes super easy, you know. It never does. It does not. <laughs> so before we move on to the next topic, I just want to say congratulations and know that you probably have a certain target weight you're trying to get to. So I do. I do. And I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm at the midpoint. Okay. I'm sure you're going to get there. Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so your next topic is what exactly is a developmental executive? Yes. So, um, yeah, so that's a big part of my job. So basically, as a development executive, I take projects and I prepare them to take out into the marketplace to sell um, or prepare them to be produced. So, uh, for example, on I'll use I'll use Harriet as an example, Harriet the Spy. We were pitched that book and we knew that we had producing partners because we're executive producers on it, me and John High. And we knew that we needed producers on it who were not only going to sort of be the creative heads, but um, have the uh, have also have the expertise um, that we needed to get it done. And so we took it to partners who we knew could do live action and puppetry and animation, and they really saw it as an animated uh, as an animated series, which had never been done before. And that's another thing when you're looking at development, especially. If you're reimagining a property or you're bringing a, a, a property from a video game or from, you know, another format into television and film, you know, how how has it been received by audiences? How can you keep what's what's beloved about it and not change the sort of the heartbeat of it, but also make it tangible for the screen and make it, you know, give it something new give it something that you haven't seen before. And so for Harriet, you know what people hadn't really seen before because it had been a movie on Nickelodeon. It had also been a, a Disney um, special as well. So the property had been produced for the screen before, but what hadn't been done before is animation. And because it was animated, um, it, uh, it was, we were able to sort of take this very sort of grounded story that is, beautifully written by Louise Fitzhugh. And we were able to kind of add more of Harriet's perspective because it's in animation. And so you had this flexibility to actually go inside of her head and see what she was seeing in a way that you really couldn't before in a live action format in the same way that you could with animation. And so, you know, part that development process, you know, kind of cracking that cracking that concept of here's the book and here's how we're going to make it into an animated series. You know, that took, you know, at least nine months to a year of really cracking that idea. Um, the other piece uh, of development after that was bringing on a writer. So we had Will McCrobb who um, did a ton of stuff in, in the nineties and two thousands, Pete and Pete, uh, I think is what he's most famously known for. Super talented. And he um, he really started adding detail to the story. And, you know, we all, all of the producers and executive producers helped sort of crack, crack that with him along the way. Um, and then we brought in an animation company. So an animation, part of the development process is sort of uncovering the, what the style, what the feel, what the look is going to be. Because Harriet, uh, we were also another first for, for this, we were taking it back to the 1960s. Harriet the Spy is set in 1964, and um, it had never been done in that time period before. And with animation, we were 
again, the flexibility of, of the, the format, we were able to do that. So, um, you know, the artwork that we were thinking about, we really wanted it to feel like artwork that you would see in, in 1964. So we used a lot of like old Disney classics, 101 Dalmatians, um, you know, Lady and the Tramp, like as, as inspirations for the type of animation style. And then, you know, I think because Will came from Nick, Nickelodeon and sort of the, the kid 90s the space, he infused a lot of what 90s animation was, what felt like. And so what we ended up doing in that development process is creating this really cool, interesting style that, you know, was a blend of this 1960s vibe and this like hyper active, like kind of quirky 90s uh, pacing. And, you know, those, did we know we were going to do that going into it? No, but that is part of sort of the joys of development is working with different people and being able to, and, and crafting something together and, and then looking at it and going, oh, holy crap. Like, this is awesome. We did this. We didn't even know fully what we were doing going into it, but we've done it. And, you know, I have to say the animation company that we use, Titmouse Animation, uh, was really, um, really a, a, just a huge, huge piece of, of that development. They, all of those artists and animators, designers, uh, directors that were on that show, um, brought just made took took what we wanted you know sometimes executives it's hard for us to communicate what we want in terms of visual style and so having an animation company that really could get what we wanted and having a really great producer Sydney Clifton was our producer on it who's a fantastic anima animation producer and kind of bridging that gap between what is it we're saying we want and and when we see something and we give notes on it what are, what are we actually talking about? Um, for me, not coming from animation, that was a big learning curve was just how do I talk about animation development? Um, and I was just surrounded by people who were, you know, amazing to, uh, amazing, amazing to work with and who knew just what they were doing hundred percent and who loved the show. I still to this day have animators reach out to me and send me like sketches they did early on of the character designs and they have, you know, it'll be a, a sketch of Harriet and then a sketch of like a Kingdom Hearts character that they were playing with and they were just kind of sketching and having fun with it and they just talk about how much fun they had and you can tell that that team had so much fun making that show because it turned out so beautiful and it turned out so well. Um, uh, and I've now talked more about production than development, but uh, kind of going back to Harriet, you know, another piece of development that was really fun to work on was the music, you know, and talking about wanting to go back to the 60s and wanting to kind of embody that New York feel of 1964. We really wanted to crack this, um, this soundtrack that was going to sound 60s and sound, you know, kind of like oldies, but then also be just really freaking cool. Um, and so Maggie Phillips was our music supervisor. Who's amazing. She's done, um, music supervision for a ton of great shows. Um, Handmaid's Tale, the great loads and loads of series. And we worked with her, you know, one of the rules, uh, some, sometimes in development, you, you, you know, you're making up the, the rules of the show for various things. One of the rules of our shows was we didn't want music that postdated where our characters were in time. So we couldn't have any songs that were done, you know, after 1964, because we were in the year 1964. Right. And so um, that was a really great, that was a really cool, fun research project to go back and say, okay, this song was done. You know, I know there was a ton of songs that we loved and we were like, God dang it. They're from 1965, you know, like <laughs> we'll have to wait, we'll have to wait till season three. Um, but we had, um, you know, I think I think the epitome of that. Oh, there's a lot of epitomes of that of that uh, of that soundtrack and of that show because it's so good. But Courtney Barnett uh, did the theme song, and it's fantastic. It is, 
it is everything we wanted out of that vibe, which is feels nostalgic, feels like it could be an older song, but is like so modern and so upbeat and catchy. And, you know, I still sing it in my head, you know, randomly. It's a, you know, an earworm, which is perfect, which is what you want out of a theme song. And then uh, Anna Warrenker did the music composition. Anna War- Warrenker, you might know, she did um, the theme song for Yellow Jackets. Um, but Anna is a, it was an incredible talent. And she, um, again, she just, she created a, a, a soundtrack that was felt like we were in the 1960s, but today. And it felt, it, it's, it's poppy and it's vibrant and it fits Harriet's world so well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that, so, you know, and it thinking through getting to think through, here's a song from, you know, the sixties that we love, who can we get to sing it? You know, the name game by Alex Leahy, like that's, that's part of our series getting right. to sort of mix and match. Uh, Aloe Black has a song, um, that he, uh, he and, uh, Kingfish wrote, um, or Aloe Black performed it, Kingfish wrote, um, and it's just another earworm. There's so many earworms in the show. And, you know, I think it's, it's again, as executive producers and as producers in development, you have all of these ideas and then you give these ideas to the people who are going to make them happen. And we were just so lucky that the people who made them happen on Harriet were just so super talented and just cracked it in the most perfect way. Um, so, so development, going back to the question, development is a lot of different things. So, um, you know, it can be script development, working with uh, a writer to do an outline. And then you, from that outline, you know, you work through putting that into a script format. And then you are developing, you know, the the act structure. And then you're going in and you're developing sort of the scene beats. Um, it's bringing in artists if you need to to develop sort of a look and feel of the show even on live action shows you know it's nice to have um it's really nice to have a feel for the style and the color palette and you know even sort of you know what, what we use a lot of sort of uh we, we rip from movies to to kind of put together decks for movies that were out pitching or shows that were out pitching the, that way people can see like what directing style you might be going for, what kind of like special effects you might be looking at, um, you know, just to give them like really clear visuals. You're always trying to communicate what a movie is. And even if you don't yourself know fully what it is, which is kind of a crazy task if you think about it, because yes, you might have the the pitch you might have the script but and you're pitching it and you're describing what you want and you have all of these great elements artwork you know or if you've pulled scenes from movies whatever you've done your visuals and then someone walks in you know a, a partner another executive or a director that you that gets attached or even sometimes like the acting talent that you pull in has ideas and just completely like changes it for the better and you know pollinates it in a different way and you throw out all your visual development and you adopt theirs on on top of what you've already built. So it's a lot of like, it's kind of like almost like paper mache crafting Desmond. It's like, you're always, <laughs> you're like adding and perfecting. And then like, maybe you just rip off that whole piece and then you slap on another piece. Um, it's super collaborative, you know, the way John and I work, it's just the two of us and we don't like to have things, Develop in development with just the two of us for very long. We like to start bringing people in because that's how you pollinate ideas and that's how things really, you know, uh, really pop and really, uh, you know, bring bring more attention to them. So, um, I think that's a pretty thorough explanation of development. It's a very strange um, part of my job. It's like I said, it's always different you know, one, one project, I'm reading a script and doing script notes. 
another project I'm getting artwork in and I'm doing notes on the art to send back to the artist on something else. I might be, you know, I have, I have certain materials. I might have a, uh, I might have a, an outline or a script, but that I need to break it down and put it into, you know, a pitch Bible, which is what we use to sell shows. So I'm, you know, sort of taking materials that have been created I'm sort of reconfiguring them into a pitch deck and I'm, I'm, you know, usually writing to someone what visually I want on each slide. So it's a lot of like deeply creative work in a lot of different areas. It's also a lot of research. You know, you're trying to be very on top of, you know, what writers are in the space that you're working in. And because we work in, in, you know, kids, family, um, there's a pregnancy horror that we're working on, which I'm very excited about. Uh, <laughs> I know animation, live action, because we're working in so many different spaces, you know, in an animation, it's 2D and 3D. It is sometimes a daunting task to be trying to keep up with all of the writers and all of the directors and all of the producers in these different spaces. So I'm never bored, basically. And um, it's always different. There's always something different to do. Um, whether it's just keeping up with writers and industry news, or if it's doing like deeply creative work, um, it's keeping a lot of things on track as well. It's a lot of following up with people, you know, you might pitch someone and you don't hear from them for two weeks and you're like, oh my God, they must hate it. They don't want it. And then you are like, hello, just checking in. And they're like, oh yeah, we love it. Let's do it. And you're like, oh my God, why couldn't you just email me? <laughs> like, I've been sitting Why are you here- telling me this sooner? <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Like, I've been sitting here freaking out for two weeks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's keeping people, it's keeping everyone on, keeping everyone on track, which sounds, I don't know, that sounds kind of weird, but it, it's more like making sure everyone's got what they need to do what they need to do in, in a timeline. And if, you know, you're, you're getting ready, if that timeline's about to come up, if it's two or three days from when something needs to be delivered, I'll reach out and say, hey, just making sure everything's, you know, everything's good. Do you have everything you need? This is coming up in three days. Is there anything that, you know, I can do to help? So it's a lot of um, keeping keeping all of the pieces together, making sure everyone's okay, um, you know, and, and, and feeling comfortable about the job that they have to do on a particular project. Right. It's nothing better than having a vision and being able to bring it to reality. Yes. Yes. And like I said, sometimes, you know, it's what's even more amazing about that is the vision that you had initially comes out so much better than you ever initially imagined because of all of the different people who were a part of it, who shaped it and who took you know, a seed of an idea and said, yes, let me, let me plant it. And then someone else said, cool, I'll, I'll water it every day. And someone else said, great, I'll make sure the blinds are up. So the sun gets, you know what I mean? It's like everyone's right. doing their little, a little, little piece to, to help this thing grow. And then, you know, it pops open. You're like, oh shit. It's like a really amazing, you know, flower that we've created in my, in my flower metaphor. Right. It's every hand helping hand counts. Exactly. So your next topic is how can busy or overwhelmed people find balance in their lives? <laughs> yeah. Just speaking <laughs> of like all of the, um, all of the things that, uh, that I do and that I know other people do. And, you know, honestly, like uh, as much as I will say, there's a lot that we do and there's only two of us. So it, it can stack up, you know, people who work at major studios, um, you know, I have so much uh, compassion and, and love for them because they're doing they're doing twice the amount, you know, twice the workload, long, long nights, you know, crazy, crazy deadlines, high, high stakes, really high stakes stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so finding balance. So kind of going back to what I was we, we were talking about earlier about like making time to uh, to work out or making time to focus on what other other things outside of of what's making you busy and overwhelmed i have felt is very important because if you don't if you even if you're in a job that you that you really love 
but you're so busy and you're so overwhelmed and you get to a place of burnout, you start really hating it, even though you know that you don't actually hate it. And it's such an annoying and upsetting feeling because you just, it's an unbalance, if you will. Um, and so, you know, one of the reasons that I kind of dipped my toe back into acting uh, in tandem with, you know, it, we we don't know what the future holds. We should try to be doing things that bring us joy. But it's like, you know, sometimes when you're focused so hard on work and you're always thinking about it and you're always in your email and you're always trying to figure some piece out, your mind just gets, you know, it's a it's a, a mind block. Like you're just blocked. And if you go off and you do something else for a little bit, it will actually help you in that other part of your life, I found. So if I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, practicing voiceover and I'm playing with dialogue and I'm in a scene and I'm just playing, it it strengthens my skill set for how I look at animation scripts that I'm developing. You know, how I look at the beats and how I look at the writing and how I, you know, think about casting and, and those kinds of things. And so... I may not be thinking about it in the moment because I'm just having fun and whatever, but it uh, it is helpful to just have those moments where you're doing something else. Some people paint. I'm a terrible painter. No one wants to see what I paint or draw. Tried it. Didn't work. Um, it was like my, my cinematographer skills and my paint skills. I was like, nope, not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, just trying to find trying to find those moments, even if it's an hour, even if it's a half an hour, trying to find something that breaks you away from whatever is overwhelming you or, you know, what is making you busy. You start to, you know, if you're so busy, you can't do things that you like, you really start resenting that thing. And once the resentment sets in, the misery sets in, and then you're just a miserable person and it's not a good place to be. Um, you know, and so, yeah, making, making it a priority, whatever that thing is for you to do, you know, for me, it's like tonight, you know, I rushed home from work to do this amazing podcast with you, Desmond, and then (laughs) I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk the dog. I'm going to do a mile and a half walk, and then I'm going to grab some dinner and then I'm going to go run for three miles. And it might be nine o'clock before I'm done with all that, but that's just the way it is because that's what I want. Um, you know, and you have to make time for it. Uh, and I, I, there has been times in my life where I've been so busy and overwhelmed. I'm just like, well, I don't have time for it. I can't do that. Other people can do that, but I can't. And you just get really, uh, you just like turn into like a, you know, a, a miserable person. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to be that, you know? And, and after my experience with, you know, my grandmother going through all the things that she did and just watching her, you know, sort of get acclimated to that and, uh, and not be a miserable person. And I mean, you know, my sister who's seven years younger than me is her full-time caretaker and could be really resentful and could be really bitter that she has to do that, but she's not. She's so grateful that she can be there for our grandmother and she gets up every day and has this, you know, crazy, she's going through this crazy experience of being a caregiver to someone she, who used to be her caregiver. And I think about her and, and I just think, you know, I have nothing, I can't complain. I can't, I can't make excuses, um, you know, for not taking the time to do the things that, that I want to do when there are other people with way, way more stress in their lives who are more busy, who are more overwhelmed, who are finding ways to stay happy, to, to stay uplifting and to find, you know, my sister find times, finds time to write and finds time to draw. And she sends me these things. And I'm just like, uh, I, I have no excuse, you know. Um, so I think it's um, it's just finding and being okay with breaking away from what's whatever's making you overwhelmed and busy for just a, for just a little bit every day, maybe. And just kind of searching for what that is and what that can be. Um, I, I have found personally, it's super beneficial. Um, you know, and, and I, I just, like I said, there's people who do a lot more and are a lot busier than I am. And, um, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's a way to fit it in to your schedule, even if it's not as much as you'd like, just to try to, um, keep yourself from getting 
getting into a, a negative mindset. Exactly. Because you don't have an outlet to release your stress. You'll go crazy. Right. Exactly. So your next topic is how can you deal with suffering great loss while staying engaged in projects that require great leadership? Oh, yes. So, um, yeah. So, again, th- this one came, was born out of sort of the situation that happened with my grandmother that, that I described where, you know, all of this happened. Um, she was paralyzed. It was a great shock to the entire family. We all had to sort of gather together. I was still, you know, producing a show. And, uh, you know, I was... I had to be, I had to do my job and I had to do all of the development that I just described to you. I had to do all of those things. And sometimes, you know, when you're the person who's helping keep things on track, like I described earlier, you all, it's kind of like being a director, you know, having been, having directed short films, I, I know like you have to be the person who's uplifted. You have to be the person who's positive. You have to be the person who's like, it's going to be good. Like we're doing this, you know, like Beanie Feldstein is setting up her voiceover studio in her mom's closet because we're all of a sudden in the middle of a pandemic and she's, you know, like she's, she's kind of nervous about it. We're all nervous about it. And I've got this crazy family situation like happening behind my Skype or behind my Zoom, you know, camera. And you just have to like focus on it. Um, I had another event in my early 20s when I was in college and I was doing a lot of film stuff and I was acting in front of the camera and my father passed away of cancer. And Mm -hmm. that was pretty crazy. And I had to deal with that and still maintain you know i had like a crazy course workload of uh i can't remember how many hours i was trying to get a double major in three years and you i just had to it's like when you go through an intense trauma and if you try to absorb it and process it uh, all at once you're going it's it's going to be too big because you've got to at least in my experience I had to sort of take like bite-sized uh, out, bite-sized pieces out of the trauma and digest it kind of every day and just slowly sort of process the changes that were happening in my life and process the kind of changes that I was going to have to make moving forward because I had to still be present for my job and for my family and I still had to pay bills and I still had to do all of the things that you have to do. And if you try to take on, if you try to take on trauma all at once, all by yourself, you know, I highly recommend like therapy and trying to find someone to talk to if you're going through something that's really traumatic and suffering a really big loss. Um, just trying to take those bite-sized chunks out of it every day to process and not overloading yourself with it as much as you can, which is obviously so easy to say, so freaking hard to do. Um, Agreed. And it's not, it's not something that I completely succeeded. There were days, there were, there were days where I didn't get out of bed during all of these examples. You know, there's days where after I moved to Los Angeles, it wasn't, that wasn't a huge loss. Like the other two things I've just described in my life, but it was a big move. Like there were just days in the early days of Los Angeles where I just laid in bed and was like, I can't do this. I should move back. I can't do this. Like, this is overwhelming. Like I, I don't have any friends. Like the people that I do know here are great, but like, it's different from what I know. And it's just, um, you know, it's like forgiving yourself when, you know, for me, it's like, if I can't get out of bed one day because I'm depressed, uh, I'll then I'll, then I'll suddenly feel guilty about it. Right. Like, Oh, I've, I've stayed in bed today. Like I suck. And that doesn't help. Don't do that. <laughs> like if you no. if you like need to lay down for a minute and you get up 12 hours later, like, hey, you know, you got up 12 hours later. That's where you were at for 12 hours. Okay. How can, if you didn't like being there, how can you avoid being there again? But not feeling just so guilty about, you know, whatever 
you those moments where you, you feel like you are succumbing to the loss or succumbing to the sadness or depression or whatever it is, you know, just like not beating yourself up about it, I think is one of the biggest one of the biggest hurdles in dealing in dealing in that and then and being able to being able to maintain a leadership position or you know a manager position or whatever it is that you're doing even if it's just like being around people sometimes hard um but if you're giving yourself flexibility and you're giving and you're you know forgiving yourself or not making yourself just feel terrible when you have a bad day you are probably not going to make other people feel bad for doing the same thing and it's that's part of being a leader is like understanding and talking through you know if someone's not performing in the way that they need to or this you know we're behind schedule why are we behind schedule you're not going to come at that person like hey you suck because we're behind schedule you know like exactly it's not how you're going to handle it why would you handle it why would you handle it like that to yourself um you know and so i think just like from my experience thinking about when you're going through something just being nice to yourself and being compassionate to yourself and knowing that you're going to have to figure out a way forward, that you can figure out the way forward. Like I said, that mental visual of like taking a bite out of the loss or the trauma that you're going through um, was really helpful for me. And again, if anyone, you know, if, if you're really struggling through something, you know, get seek seek help there are so many resources it's it's not a it's not a sign of weakness you know i grew up in a family where some of the older people in my family you know kind of think therapy is a thing of weakness and it's not it's not at all we've got some stuff to figure out we're very complex creatures what are we doing here desmond you know like that's right, right. running through our head all the time <laughs> all the time Every day, even Every when you're day. sleeping, you're thinking about something. You're trying to sleep. Like, why am I thinking about this right now? Exactly. It's in your dreams. You wake up, you're like, why am I dreaming about this? Like, I left this alone a week or two ago. Come on, man. Yeah, it's in there. <laughs> so your last question is, it's a three-parter. So Ooh. what are some of your great failures and how do they affect you now? Do they still consider them failures? Right. So, um, yes. So going back to, going back to, you know, kind of entering the industry as an actor and then leaving it, you know, I felt, uh, I definitely felt that feeling of failure, even though I was going into a different aspect of production and, um, and even though I've had a lot of overall success with that production path. You know, the idea that something I set out to do uh, when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old, that I left completely 11 years later, has sort of always weighed on me. And, and until recently, I kind of did have this idea of it being a failure. And I think what it did to me mentally and why I don't consider it a failure anymore is because just like I described earlier, uh, I've come back to it. I've discovered that I really do love it and I'm still discovering it and I'm not putting any sort of um, expectations on it. I think that that in and of itself, expectations is a big piece of feeling like a failure and how that affects you moving forward. The other thing is too, like failure is such a strange thing. And the reason I like talking about it is because I was a lot of my, a lot of my early life, I remember just being sort of told like you do things this way. And if it's not this way and it's not, if it's not, if it's done a different way, it's not the right way or it has, you know, there was sort of like, a lot of weird like restrictions on how things could be done. And like failure was, was seen as sort of like this huge detrimental thing when in reality, like you have to fail, like you can't get anywhere without failing in some regard. Right. You can't grow without mm. failing. You can't learn 
without failing. And that's okay. And I think that's like the biggest mindset shift for me was just finally like realizing I didn't have to hold guilt and shame for things that didn't happen in my life that I thought were going to happen that I was trying to do that I, that I couldn't make happen. Um, that's a part of it. And, you know, going back to the acting thing, cause that's just kind of the, 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 one of the big ones is like, you know, um, I came back to it. I'm really digging it. I will probably, I'm going to try to go out and get an agent again in the next six months or so. And if I don't do that, that's, I'm going to feel a lot different than when I, when it didn't happen the first time around, because I'm not going to have these like deep expectations of like, if I don't do this, I'm not a good person or I don't deserve anything else in life. If I don't succeed at this one thing, um, you know, I think it's, it's just letting go of, of again, of like that guilt and that shame and I think it's okay for people to pivot too. It's like, yeah, that didn't work out. It wasn't going well. Didn't want to do it anymore. I pivoted and did something else that brought me more joy. And then I'm going to pivot back and do something else. Um, what was the third part of my own question, Desmond, about failure? <laughs> so it's okay. So do you still consider them failures? Oh, okay. So I kind of answered that. Yeah, no, I don't think so in that in the acting thing. Um I think uh, there are a couple things in my life, a couple of relationships in my life that I felt like uh, I kind of failed at handling when things got rough. You know, I, like I said, like I, I, my, I came from not knowing how to really navigate social situations and, and friendships have always been kind of crazy for me. And there have been a couple of friends that I've lost over the years that I've been like, you know what? I wonder if I could have handled that in a different way. And like, we could have at least kept like in better touch. And I think about that now. And I, and I still think like, um, yeah, I still, I still kind of think of them as failures, but again, I only knew what I knew, you know, I only knew how to proceed when at that time, how I knew how to proceed. And so, um, I don't think that it's, uh, I, I think that I now use those feelings of like, Oh man, like maybe I, I miss, you know, I miss, uh, I missed an opportunity with that, or I didn't do something that could have, you know, led to a better relationship or a better friendship. Um, I take that into my future relationships and future friendships. Uh, and I, I try to, you know, think about that. Well, that one thing happened then, and I don't want that to happen here. So what can I do to, you know, not, not just put up a great big wall with this person in this relationship? What can I do to like help bridge whatever challenge that, we're going through and, and try to, you know, make this a, a long lasting, great relationship. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's covers it. I think it's, um, again, failure is always linked to shame and guilt. And I think trying to nix those feelings and instead take them and learn from them and use it to change how you're moving forward into the future uh, has, you know, been a positive way to, to shift my, my point of view. Right. Cause you only can deal with one situation at a time. You can't deal with everything at once. It'll be too overwhelming. To no, you. exactly. You gotta have the, you gotta take those bite-sized pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So before we move on to the next part, did you know that you and Stone Cold Steve often are from the same place? I didn't. Yes, Victoria, uh, Texas, right? What? Victoria, Texas? He's from there? Yes. yes. What? Yep. Desmond, I did not know that. That's so cool. Absolutely. When you sir said that, I was like, oh, Steve Austin. That's amazing <laughs> that you thought of that. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. I have to look that up now. I'm going to hit him up. I don't Absolutely. know if he'll talk to me. I'm just going to be like, hey, we're from the same place. Like, did you know I was a celebrity too, right? <laughs> slide into his DMs. He'll be like, who the heck are you? There you go. Well, he <laughs> might share a couple of beers with you, so. <laughs> That'd be cool. That'd be cool. <laughs> so, at this point in my podcast, I always turn it over to my guests, and you can ask me any question that you want. Oh, my God, Desmond. Wow, a lot of pressure. Um, 
no pressure. Okay. What what is your what do you enjoy the most about this podcast? Getting to know people from different parts of the world, getting letting them be able to share the life stories like you're doing in this one. Um, those are some of the things. Um, just be able to spread positivity, gain new knowledge about things I didn't know about, bring in a new listening audience, a mixture of everything rolled up into one. That's fantastic. Well, you're Absolutely. you're a fantastic host. Um and it's I think it's really cool that you're you're sort of, you know, following that curiosity and having lots of different people on and reaching out and, you know, making it happen. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And I am very excited to be to be a guest. I feel very I feel very lucky. Oh, man, it's nothing. I appreciate you accepting this. And before we end, um, is there any last message? that you would like to leave the listeners? Do you have anything else new coming up? Because I know you've been talking about a lot of projects recently. And do you want to share your social media handles as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, I the only thing that's up for people to actually really enjoy is Harriet the Spy, which is on Apple TV+. Plus. So there's 10 episodes. I say check that out. Um, my, uh, my handle is just my full name, Teresa Kelton. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. I have a Facebook page. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's easy to find me. Yeah, you have it. Please, everybody make sure you follow her and you will see her in future, uh, movie roles. I'm telling you. Oh, Desmond, from your lips, from your lips. You hear it? I'm manifesting <laughs> it right now, are, right here. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to get the first exclusive podcast. If I'm ever in a movie and I, and I'm doing a press tour, I'm going to say, I got to be on the Des experience. Cause he manifested this for me. I'm definitely down. We definitely got to keep in touch. <laughs> Absolutely. So I just want to say once again, thank you for accepting my podcast invitation. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a good rest of your evening ahead and enjoy all the working out exercise that you're going to be doing in a little bit. Oh, thank you, Desmond. You too. Keep it up. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye.